Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. Alex Wolf here. We are still without Gavin as he finishes up at the Hoop Hall tournament, but definitely check out some of those games if you haven't already, some of the best high school teams in the country. But I have another great guest host with me today. I have Jeff Rasmussen from the Strickland. You might know him as at FrankBarrett119 on Twitter, a great film thread guy. And we're going to be going over the Knicks 117-108 to 108 weekend win over the Atlanta Hawks. A absolutely crushing win in the sense of it crushed the Hawks and their fans' spirits and was an easy cruise in the park down the stretch for the Knicks in this game. Can't wait to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about today's Martin Luther King Day uh, matinee versus the Charlotte Hornets at MSG. Give a little preview of that at the end of the show. So we're going to be doing all that right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. We're, of course, available on all your favorite podcasting platforms and now on YouTube. We just had a really cool, I don't know if you listened to that episode the other day, uh, about the Cam Reddish trade, but that was like one of our most watched YouTube videos. It's pretty cool to watch as a video form too. So maybe go check that out. Drop us a subscription. Uh, drop us a like on YouTube. That would be awesome. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And I am joined, as I said in the intro, by one of the contributors to The Strickland, who does a fantastic job on the social media, writes some game recaps and some fun articles, uh, Jeff Rasmussen. And uh, you might know him as at FrankBarrett119 on Twitter. Jeff, how you doing, man? How you feeling after this nice weekend win? We're uh, recording this on Sunday night. So, you know, we've had like a day to decompress, watch some football, and it still feels really good to me. Yeah, it was a really easy day. Um, I really like football Sundays. I'm a big football fan, bigger basketball fan, but there's really very little worse than the Knicks losing on Saturday and not you know, just maximizing Sunday afternoon, watching football, just having that bad taste in your mouth. So today was just really good. Not having to worry about really anything Knicks related, just like, yeah, it just felt really great and just excited to talk about it with you. Yeah. Well, and what better place to start, right? than Julius Randle and RJ Barrett, uh, 26 points for RJ Barrett in 41 minutes, eight to 20 shooting, uh, two of five from three, eight to 10 from the free throw line. Uh, five rebounds, three assists, one steal for RJ, and he had a fantastic game again. Julius Randle as well, 24 points, 10 to 21 shooting. Uh, he had six rebounds, nine assists as well. Only one turnover, which obviously a very key stat for him. Uh, Jeff, we were talking about it a little bit before the show, but sort of this like symbiosis we're seeing between these two now, you know, where Julius seems okay with sort of being the uh, almost like the decoy 
to a degree and setting up RJ, getting him going, and then realizing now, especially these last couple games, that his offense will just kind of come along uh, if he does a good job of, of setting RJ up and setting up the rest of the team. I mean, what have you been seeing out of those two recently, and in particular in this game, as far as positive signs? It's just been a really, really nice arc these last three games for Julius and RJ. Um, uh, as I was saying to you, I, I really thought it started with the worst game Julius played in San Antonio when RJ was great. And Julius really didn't seem able to find his footing in terms of um, contributing and impacting the game without being the main scorer. And then he kind of increased his impact a little bit in the, not a little bit, a lot uh, in the Dallas game. And RJ was still great and it just peaked in the Atlanta game. And I think something has clicked for the two of them where Julius has pretty much decided that the team is going to go as the two of them go. And so you're seeing a lot of in the Atlanta game, excuse me, you saw a lot of Julius seeking out RJ looking to run to him for dribble handoffs um, he did that thing again that he did once in the Dallas game where RJ threw the ball to him in the mid post and the defense, all five guys immediately looked at him and RJ's defender was wrong footed and he just whipped the ball right back to RJ for the three. And you're just seeing the uh, them get more and more in sync as each game goes along. And I think that's really good for uh, Knicks as a team. Yeah. I mean, I've been noticing that too. I think that, you know, Julius is really settling into this like, you know, it feels like this whole year to me has been him. Yeah, you know, he said it in the first game, and I think I've referenced this a few times on the show. But very first game of the year, he's going off against the Boston Celtics to help lead the Knicks to a win. And what you hear him yelling down the stretch is, "I want my respect," right? And it's felt like this whole year has been sort of this like this quest for him. You know, mostly with the foul calls and stuff, or the lack thereof, to sort of prove like, "Hey, I'm." you know, I'm an all NBA player. I should be getting all NBA calls. You know, if I drive inside and someone makes some contact with me, like why am I not getting the same calls that like a James Harden gets or something, you know? And it, it seems like that has been sort of a driving force of his season so far. And probably is why in many ways he, you know, has seemed very perturbed throughout a lot of this year and has just kind of seemed, you know, a lot of fans and myself included have, you know, commented on his body language and how he's carrying himself and stuff. What, what I'm seeing change now is that it's almost like the the light bulb clicked, which I think a lot of us have been like thinking or saying about Julius is that like you have your respect. Like the fact is that other teams are like really keying in on you and the Hawks in particular. I mean, he knows better than anyone. The Hawks really respect the crap out of his game because they based a whole playoff strategy around taking the ball out of his hands. And, you know, making sure that he couldn't shoot the ball and destroy them like he had during last regular season. And it kind of seemed like in this game, especially like you mentioned, he was getting so much attention and that's been happening still. I mean, he draws extremely consistent doubles. And, you know, for the people, I mean, I would have never said that they were that the Knicks would be straight up better without him on the team because I always found that to be silly. But some people were like, oh, they're going to play more cohesive if he's out you know, whatever. And so when he had the COVID absence, people were like, you know, screw you to the people that were celebrating it because nobody should be celebrating someone getting COVID. But like some people were at least saying like, Hey, I hope he's going to be all right, but I'm intrigued to see what this team's going to look like without him. And 
you know, we saw that the team looked really bad because they didn't have that consistent presence out there that was drawing so much attention. Uh, and so everybody could just be defended honestly, you know, like in one-on-one situations and, you know, just occasional doubles, whatever, just to get the ball out of someone's hands. But nobody had the sort of instincts to take advantage of that like Julius does. And I think that's what we're seeing here is that maybe he's realizing that his respect can come from different avenues than just getting foul calls. But I mean, what do you think has led to the transformation from him? Because I would say that, you know, as great as RJ has been playing and obviously RJ has to make shots and stuff and that's important, but I I would say that the most, maybe the most important thing to RJ's rise right now is the fact that Julius seems more willing to sort of give up the one a title and switch to being more of a 1B on some nights for for RJ, and then just kind of let the offense come to him as it does. Well, first of all, uh, I think it was Julius realizing that he can still be the 1A without scoring the most points or taking the most shots. And I think that's what you were alluding to, is that he doesn't have to score 30 points to be seen as the best player because every team already sees him as the best player. RJ Barrett can score 30 points for the next 10 games and the 11th team is still going to Julius and send doubles at Julius and they're going to make RJ beat them. That's not a slight against RJ Barrett. I love RJ Barrett. My my Twitter handle name is named half named after him, but Julius Randall is the guy. Um And so I just want to touch on two of the things you brought up, the first of which being um, him being booed and him being out of the lineup. I actually think that that was sort of rock bottom for him, and that was sort of a good thing because it just sort of was like, well, it can't get any worse than this. And he just sort of used that as like a turning point for him mentally, just like, okay, I've seen the worst. I've done the worst. Maybe I shouldn't have said what I said, but okay, we're we're just going to move past it and do our best. And then the second thing I want to say, um, and this is a little bit of pushback, regarding the Knicks without Randall, I think most reasonable people who, even even the ones who were most vocal about it, and maybe I'm being a bit defensive here because I was very pro-Obi before the Randall COVID stuff, I think most of us knew and were very confident that this team's ceiling lies with Julius Randall. So when a lot of us talked about the team performing way worse with Randall than with Obi on the floor, or they brought that up, at least for me, it never had anything to do with playing Randall less. It was just clearly Obi is bringing something good and we should look for a way to give that to Randall and help him and help the team. Now, obviously that ship has kind of sailed with these last few games, but uh, I don't think anybody or very many people really thought, okay, we this team would just be better if you took Julius Randle off of it, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think maybe there's more to touch on that in just a second. I do just want to very quickly uh, let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by Shopify. And uh, cha-ching, I love that sound. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. 
believe me, this podcast started out and, you know, selling ad space, I guess. And today we're selling better ad space, but, you know, it, it's we're not going to stop there. Success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. Also, for example, you know, the Strickland, we've been selling merchandise and, you know, you got to you got to, you know, start somewhere and then keep building your business. And Shopify is a great place to do that. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources to make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Like mine, Shopify powers millions of businesses from first sale to full scale, reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA right now. Shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, Jeff. So, yeah, we, you know, we, we talk a good amount about, about RJ and, and Randall here. I do kind of want to, I want to shout out a couple other guys on the team and I'll let you decide which, which direction you want to go as far as these guys uh, based off this game. Cause I just thought, I thought there was just a, a fantastic team wide effort. I mean, once again, the, the starters all were resounding positives in this game, which is becoming more of a trend. And I love to see that because it was getting really depressing every night seeing, you know, every starter being like a minus 25 and every bench player being a plus 30, you know, it's, it gets to be a bit much after a while. Uh, but so uh, all three of the other starters, honestly had fantastic games. Evan Fournier, seven to 13 shooting for 18 points, four of eight from three, uh, just an awesome display of, of shooting and, you know, offense from him again, Alec Burks, 17 points, four of eight shooting, uh, nine rebounds, eight assists, almost a triple double for him very quietly. And, you know, I thought that he just made some really key plays down the stretch as well. Key shot making, good job moving the ball, obviously with the the team high or almost team high in assists, one shorter Randall. I mean, I thought he just had a fantastic game. And Mitchell Robinson, once again, you know, it his life was made a little easier by the fact that the Hawks were missing Capella, but he ends up with 14 points, 13 boards, only one steal, no blocks, but I thought that he served as plenty good of a deterrent on the inside. He has really, really reeled his fouls in this year. Only one foul in 31 minutes of action. And, I mean, he just – he's been playing so big lately. Just, you know, I keep going back to – and I know that this is extremely lofty, but, you know, Trey Burke, his rookie year, calling him Skinny Shack, And, you know, him, like, all the time now just – sealing off his man on the inside, you know, and catching a ball way above where his, uh, you know, his defender can catch it. And then just like power slamming at home with a two handed dunk that just looks like it's going to pull the whole thing down like Shaq used to do. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's awesome. I've been loving everything that he's doing lately. Where do you want to start out of those three players in this second segment here, as far as the, the contributions from those guys? I'm going to start with Mitch. Um, and I, Mostly just want to echo your sentiments. I thought you hit the nail on the head. I want to say that these last few games, as big as they've been uh, from R.J. Barrett, to me they've been almost as big from Mitch Robinson. And 
kind of for the same reasons, you know, like we get really excited when we see Barrett do things that are like, oh, maybe he still does have that, you know, that all-star ceiling. You know, we, we really want to see Barrett score from the mid-range because we don't want to see him just try to get to the rim or shoot threes because we know defenses can stop that. So we want to see Barrett's game expand. Well, the last few games for Mitch, we've seen a ton of stuff that, Every single Knicks fan who just gets so frustrated with Mitch has just been dying to see for a few years. And that's really, really good hands around the basket, both, you know, on a vertical level when he goes up for rebounds, as you alluded to. And he's caught some really tough passes in the paint in traffic and just looked really calm and composed and there was a few more in the Hawks game when there was that one when Randall got the ball and he dribbled up he dribbled the whole length of the court and then found a trailing Robinson and Mitch caught the ball on the run at the free throw line and just gathered it and dunked it in traffic. And it's just like, who is this guy? Like, this is not the Mitch Robinson we've seen for three seasons. And I always thought that just from an absolute ceiling perspective, like 85% of Rudy Gobert was like on Mitch Robinson ceiling. They're both, you know, crazy long. They, they both can impact the game in similar ways. I don't think Mitch will ever be the passer on the move that Gobert is, which is why I say 85%, but to even get to 85% of Gobert, his hands had to get so much better because a good defense is just always going to choose him to help off of if the only way he can contribute is catching lobs and dunking it. But if he can do stuff, you know, catching the ball and taking a pivot, uh, you know, like a hop step or a pivot, using his pivot foot and dunking, his the ceiling on his game just rises immensely. And we're seeing that, and it's made a huge impact for the team. And the Hawks game was just another example of it. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of uh, guys that are just doing the right things that they're supposed to do to, you know, help – elevate the team and, and, you know, get them where they need to be. I'll push it to Fournier next. I mean, I've been so impressed lately, this recent hot stretch for him, you know, his ability to make shots first off and confidently take them. Like it makes me, you know, when he is making shots like he has been lately, it just makes me look back to the doldrums of, you know, the, the first third or so of the season where he really just looked afraid to shoot the ball. And it just makes me want to say like, dude, where was this guy earlier in the season? You know, he, he seems so timid and unwilling to unload. And maybe it's just one of those things where, you know, obviously he had the other Celtics games before it, but maybe that Celtics game where, you know, he dropped over 40, that just was finally like the switch that said, oh yeah. I mean, look at all these shots that I just made in this game. I was making them, you know, stationary, falling out of bounds like Larry Bird, like, you know, step backs, pull-ups, you know, whatever I wanted to do. Maybe I could just keep doing this the rest of the year. But it seems like kind of ever since that game, he's just been really on lately. And he seems to be shooting confidently. He seems to have finally found a role that's comfortable for him where he's not necessarily just being asked to spot up all the time. He is being trusted to, like, run a pick and roll here and there or, you know, attack uh, his defender off of getting a handoff from Julius Randle or something like that, which it's not to say that he was necessarily being precluded from doing that before, but like maybe he felt like he was, and now he feels comfortable and realizes that he has more of a free reign 
than he thought he did. Whatever the case may be, I I just think that he's he's been such a revelation too. You know, it's it it really this is basketball is a five man game. You know what I mean? You can't win on just the back of just one player. You know, contrary to what anyone says, you know, even even the the best teams in history that seem to be one man gangs. You know, like Allen Iverson Sixers or early LeBron's Cavs or whatever the case. You got to have guys out there that can at least do their job and do it credibly. And the Knicks right now, I think the reason that they're all that the team itself is flourishing and especially the starters is because these guys are all finally embracing what it is they have to do. And they're all doing it at the level that they're capable of doing it. And in the case of a guy like RJ doing it better now, but like, I think Fournier has been like one of the, the main cases of that lately, as far as, you know, playing more up to the level that he should be playing at. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, Really funny because I'm like the leader of quickly should be the starting point guard. But as you were speaking, I sort of had a revelation that is making me rethink it entirely. And that revelation is that to me, Fournier and Barrett being enabled in the starting lineup has a lot to do with Alec Burks because Burks is the ultimate find a way to contribute without needing the ball in his hands guy, which I never thought I would say about Alec Burks. But him in the starting lineup, that's who he's become these last few games because he's not playing very much point guard. He'll run some secondary pick and roll, but for the most part, they're going through Julius and they're increasing that um, that pistol action with Barrett at the, uh, at the, at the, at the top of the key. And I think what you said was so on point when you said that people, the the starting lineup, the individuals in the starting lineup, they're just finding their roles more and more. And Fournier is one of them. And I sort of think that's been enabled by an Alec Burks who plays point guard, but isn't, you know, needing the ball that he's just sort of allowing everyone. He's like, oh, I'll get mine. And Fournier is clearly reaping the benefits And I want to give him credit for one other thing in that Hawks game. You know, a lot of people talked about the back-to-back buckets he had when the Hawks cut it. And those were awesome. The step-back jumper he hit, that foot on the line to bring it up to four. And then uh, him and Julius ran some action and he got into the paint and hit a floater. But that all started with the Hawks down two and having the ball. And Fournier stole the ball in the paint. He helped off his guy. And I, I mean, I know it's easy to be results oriented because we're winning and I'm not saying he's perfect, but I really do think he's making an increased effort on that side of the ball. And I think we're seeing it with how hard he works off the ball and also on the defensive glass. This has not gotten talked about at all, but we're doing we're not we're not bleeding offensive rebounds nearly as much as we were 10 games ago. We were getting killed on the offensive glass. And I think it's been a team effort. Uh, Last game was the best boxing out Mitch Robinson has had all season. I paid close attention to it. He was just always body on man, letting Julius get the rebound. And Fournier is down, and Fournier and Barrett are down there helping rebound. And I just think it goes back to what you said. Their roles are more defined now, and they're more comfortable together. And, yeah, Fournier and Barrett, and we're seeing the benefits from everyone. Yeah, certainly. And I certainly hope that it continues on to, say, the Charlotte game, which maybe we'll do a little preview of in just a second here. But I do have to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, 
make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this just isn't worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, so you don't have to worry about that. And they only have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs, along with a whopping 17 grams of protein in each bar. Compare that to an actual candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs, and of course, tons of fat. You don't want all that in your diet in the new year because it's new year, new you. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever. Throw out all those sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And you guys know there's so many great flavors to choose from. I'm going to give a special shout out to one of my favorites today, Coconut Almond, because I saw Almond Joy uh, slander on Twitter today. Uh, Coconut Almond Built Bars taste just like an Almond Joy. And if you are a person of taste and enjoy Almond Joys, then you will love Coconut Almond Built Bars. So go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and that means a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, so getting into a little Charlotte Hornets preview. I figure this is especially good today, Jeff, because you know we're this episode's releasing on. A Monday morning, but not just any Monday morning, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which, of course, shout out to the holiday, obviously a very important one in uh, the U.S. uh, holiday Rolodex, I guess. Um, (laughs) But the Knicks, of course, always play their matinee uh, game on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And they have the Charlotte Hornets today, which is a pretty formidable matchup. Uh, They've been on... you know, I looked this up right before we started recording. I did not realize that they had lost their last game to the Orlando Magic, which, you know, <laughs> Hornets fans, we feel your pain. Uh, but they had previously before that crushed the Pistons by about 30 points, beat the Bucks in back-to-back games. They somehow had a home back-to-back against the Bucks. That's a weird scheduling uh, uh, thing there. But at, at any rate, they beat the Bucks in back-to-back games at home. And then uh, went on the road and beat the Sixers by a solid 11 points on the road as well. So this is clearly a dangerous team. This is a team that we saw really take it to the Knicks the last time that they played. Um, That was back on, what was the date for that? November 12th, uh, beat the Knicks 104-96, to but 
that's a game that I remember thinking it should have been a lot more than that, <laughs> that the Knicks got beat by because they really got run off the floor by Charlotte in that game. Uh, they'll have, obviously, LaMelo Ball, who's having a fantastic sophomore year. Miles Bridges having a career year, like really make it a case to get paid this summer. Uh, among other guys on the team that are uh, Gordon Hayward, guys like that that are playing fantastic. What do you see as some of the keys to the game, Jeff, to avoid a repeat of last time and to stop one of the one of the teams in the East right now that you could say is arguably about as hot as the Knicks are right now? So this is a really, really important test for the Knicks because the Hornets do thing that we just do terribly against. And that is they play a lot of minutes with a stretch five. They'll go with PJ Washington or miles bridges at the five and force our all uh, paint bound centers out onto the perimeter. And there'll be people who remember the game last year we played when PJ Washington started at center at MSG late in the season and they just dismantled us. And it was just, he was just walking into wide open threes because uh, Noel refused to leave the paint. That was after Mitch got hurt. Now, I do think Mitch is a little longer and just, I do, I think he'll better. And then if Noel's out, I think Taj is actually our best big at defending that action. I just think in general, if we're talking about, you know, a play in game or, hopefully a best of seven playoff series teams are going to look at what we do worst. And, and this is what we do worst. So I think it's really important for us to see a good solid scheme against the lineups with PJ Washington or miles bridges on the floor. And it'll just be a, um, I guess, yeah, a, a test and, and a good, where are we at with that? Has Thibodeau adjusted what are we going to do when a team says, oh, okay, well, you're going to play a center 100% of your minutes? Well, here you go. Here's five guys who can shoot a three. Now, you're, now your rim protector is irrelevant. What are you going to do? Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'll be intrigued to see, despite his struggles recently, if Tibbs is willing to entertain the idea of uh, Obi and Julius again. And I mean, honestly, at this point, based off how well those two have played together, at, you know, when they do get opportunities to play together this year, I, I almost think that that would be as good of an opportunity as any to get Obi going again, because he clearly seems, he seems to be needing that person that can feed him outlet passes that can, you know, look for him in the open floor. And honestly, outside of like Derek Rose, who was the guy that was doing it for Obi when he was healthy, I think Julius Randall might be the second best guy on the team at, you know, if you're standing at the opposing free throw line, and need to throw it to Obi at the other free throw line, who on the Knicks would you trust to do it? I think Julius Randle is probably guy number one. I mean, he throws every pass like a quarterback trying to bullet it into his receiver's chest. You know, that's just how how Julius throws all of his passes. You see it sometimes backfire where guys aren't ready for that rocket to come in and just have it fly out of their hands. I think that's been part of the adjustment for Mitch in, in some cases when he gets passes from Julius, like that you mentioned earlier with his hands. But you know, maybe this is an opportunity to finally give that some run because you're right. Like if they if they decide to throw Washington out there or God forbid Miles Bridges at the five, I mean, the Knicks are 100% not equipped to deal with that if they have Mitchell Robinson out there. And like I love how Mitch has been playing recently, but he's still not perfect defending the perimeter. He's still not quite. And I mean, look, this is these are the trade-offs. I think he's now at a good level of hefty 
you know, in the sense that he's bigger than he used to be. And that means he can no longer just be like, you know, butt bumped out of the way by Joel Embiid anymore. But the downside to this is he's not quite as nimble as he used to be where he would get, you know, switched on to James Harden. And it was like he looked at him like food. You know, it, it's it's not quite there anymore. So I think I think a smart move would be obviously, you know, roll with what's been working. Roll your starting lineup out there. You're not going to make a drastic change like starting Obi Toppin at the five just as a reactionary move to another team. Because ideally you want Mitch to impact the game, you know, and make them regret playing small by him playing so big. But if that's not working, I hope that Tibbs is at least open to the idea of throwing an Obi Toppin out there who can guard the perimeter, you know, better than a Mitch can at this point, who can, you know, shuffle his feet and, and you know, stay, you know, si- laterally with these guys like a Miles Bridges and, you know, stop them from getting to the hoop that way where, you know, you might not have a rim deter out there, but you'll at least, ha- at least have someone that can force up a, a bad shot you know, around the rim, which is pretty much all you need. You don't necessarily need a block every time. Um, so I hope that Tibbs is willing to explore that. But do you have any – what do you think about that, the the going small thing first off, but then do you have any other things that you think could potentially be good for the Knicks to try to, you know, deter that that small ball, everybody can shoot threes strategy that the Hornets have going on? As you said, you just want to see Thibodeau be open to it. You, you, just, want, you just want to know that he – can be flexible and can make the adjustments that potentially could be necessary. Um, I definitely agree with what you said uh, about you just go with what you've been doing. And this is actually, you know, to go along with what you said, this is an opportunity for Mitch to build upon what I was saying earlier. Has he really improved? Well, if Mitch has really improved, one area that will show up is he'll be able to exploit a small lineup. He'll be able to get offensive rebounds. He'll be able to catch the ball, use his body and finish at the rim. Um, I'm not asking to dump it, dump it into him into the post. I'm just saying, you know, think about what teams do to Nerland's Noel when they're really trying to exploit him and they go small and they just stick a small guy on him. And they say, well, he can't do anything. We don't want to see that from Mitch. We want to see a step up. If, if he's really gotten better as far as Obi playing the five, I would be all about that. Of course. Um, I think it would be good for the lineup. And like you said, I think it would be good for Obi. Um, and it's all, it, it, it's a really big mill because on one hand, you know, it's easy to say, well, how can Obi get going? He's never given a chance to get going. But on the other hand, he has to show Tibbs something to show that he should be out there. And as much as I love him, he just really hasn't these last few games. And I'm always on the train of, God, Tibbs, why are you taking him out so early? Like, you don't have to do this. And I'm always looking for a reason to play him more. I really haven't felt that these last few games. I've really just been like, yep, I understand why he's going back to Julius. And and even though I'm someone who doesn't view their minutes as a zero-sum equation, I wish they played together at all. I, I've at least understood it these last few games. And so if we're going to do what you proposed, which I'm all about, Obi has to come out there at the end of the first quarter, or the start of the second quarter and show Tibbs, Hey, like I'm here tonight and you want me on the floor so that when PJ Washington is their center or miles bridges is their center and Mitch or Noel or Taj isn't getting out to the perimeter in time, it's in Tibbs's mind of, okay, like I got to match this and Obi's playing well tonight. He's got to show them something. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's going to be as big a key as any that Obi comes out and, you know, shows that he's he's ready to rock right for minute one. Because, yeah, that you know, that was always his calling card early in the year. And then lately it's it. it I agree with you. You know, I love Obi, too, and I want him to succeed. But, you know, he's often gone out there and not been giving the same sort of I don't want to say effort, but not putting forth the same sort of performances that he was earlier in the year. And it seems like he's been sort of regressing on defense a bit uh, offense. He's definitely missing having some of his favorite players in there with him, you know, on offense, Derek Rose being like the number one. I think there was a clear correlation with that, but a lot of stuff to watch. And, uh, you know, fortunately we won't have to wait too long to watch it with this afternoon start. So we'll have, we'll have more to talk about after the game and all that, but Jeff, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of locked on Knicks. Do you want to remind everybody where to find you on Twitter and all that and where to find your work and, and anything else you want to promote before we get off? Uh, yeah, I'm Frank Barrett, one one nine on Twitter. Um, I sometimes am on the Strickland account. I do the threads for the most part. Um, got an article coming out soon for, uh, on Strickland about the, uh, the Knicks just, season as a whole so far and what i've thought about it with a pretty cool twist i think at least so for that and honestly just stay i mean i love everything we're doing at strickland in general um couldn't be happier you know people i've interacted with and the stuff we're doing rocking rocking the merch you know right now so i did a bad job but yeah um (laughs) you know it's just I, i love it and uh yeah just Stay with us because we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah, you know, it's a completely unbiased opinion. I could not agree more. Uh, you should definitely follow the Strickland and keep uh, supporting everything the Strickland does. But, Jeff, thanks so much for popping on, man. Really appreciate you coming on and talking through this game with me. And uh, everybody listening, thank you all for, for listening. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow, breaking down uh, the matinee against the Hornets, hopefully a win. We'll see how that all goes. But until next time, thank you all for listening. Uh, We will talk to you all soon. We got a bunch of great shows for you guys this week. So peace out. Talk to you all soon.